0: I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You may be seated. Uh, Some of you may have heard of the great um, Welsh uh, preacher, He died several years ago. His name was Martin Lloyd-Jones. How many of you have heard of this minister, Martin Lloyd-Jones? Raise your hand. He was a wonderful expositor. You can still hear his sermons on the radio. He has that wonderful Welsh accent, and boy could he preach. Um, He did have a reputation for being somewhat um, tedious with his uh, exposition uh, by that, I simply mean that he would take maybe um, six sermons in a row. I mean, he would preach through the Bible, straight, expository, straight through the Bible, book by book. He may take six or seven sermons like on one little phrase. Um, and it became something of uh, a, a amusement among his uh, members there at Westminster Chapel in London. And they would sort of gauge great life decisions according to the sequence of his preaching. I mean, some would say, I joined the church in Psalms and was married in Lamentations, and God brought us children in Malachi and grandchildren of 1 Corinthians. Um, I want to assure you I preached three weeks from these first two verses, and don't worry, I am going to move on. So uh, I'm not going to be like that great. I could never be like that great man. We will move on next time to verse 3. But I wanted to park here, uh, if you don't mind, today, and address this uh, last uh, very uh, muscular statement in verse 2, which says that um, we should prove or test to find out what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So I want to talk, uh, preach briefly today on what in this world is the uh, will of God. Um, One reason I'm taking time to do this is this is such a pivotal time for many of you, for many of us. I had a text message uh, today from uh, our dear friend Melissa, and I asked what I was speaking on, and I told her, and Uh, She says, you know, a lot of us really need to hear about that. And I said, boy, isn't that the truth? Dating, marriage, business decisions, family decisions, big purchases, and stuff like that. We really need to have God's direction. Now, this is a greatly misunderstood topic, the topic of the will of God. First of all, what in the world does it mean, the will of God? Well, quite simply, if you're going to break it down, The will of God means God's desires, what God wants. You have a will, don't you? You make choices. Well, God also has desires, and God makes choices. You understand that about God? God is not sort of like some frozen being up there. He's not just sort of a collection of attributes, not just sort of some mathematical principle. God is actually a person and more of a person than you and I are. We need to remember that about God. He's a very concrete person, not physical But very concrete person. And he has desires. Well the will of God and his choices are his desires. Now it's very important before we get specifically to this text. To distinguish uh, two aspects of the will of God. That is God's choices. Don't ever forget these guys. You may want to write these down. Now I'm going to use here a couple words that theologians use. um, But they're sort of necessary. You know theologians have long words. Like, you know, sort of other fields do. You go to the doctor, and, you know, he's talking to the nurse, and he uses language you don't even understand. I mean, like 17 words, and you don't even understand what he's saying. Well, that's sort of sort of um, med-speak. We would call it med-speak. Well, we have theological speak, too. But these words are helpful, and you need to understand what they mean. First of all, there is what we might call the decretive will of God. That is God's decrees. The decretive will of God is basically what God determines from eternity will come to pass his choice his determination of what's going to happen and by the way uh that really is a biblical teaching you understand that that what god chooses to happen does happen do you understand that though man has a will and then though man has choices and though they are real choices That man's choices and man's determinations cannot overthrow God. Do you understand that? That's very important. We read, for example, just one verse, Isaiah 14, 24. The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely, as I have thought, so it shall come to pass. And as I have purposed, so it shall stand. That's the way it is. And I know some people are afraid of that. They're afraid. They don't like that. Well, man, that's just so hard to understand. Man, I just don't know if I like a God like that that makes these determinations and this sort of thing. i got to tell you, I'm just the opposite. I would be afraid to live in a world that didn't have a God like that. Wouldn't you be afraid to live in a world where the will of man could overthrow the will of God? Do you know the chaos and the destruction that could happen if that were the case? So this is a wonderful and gracious and glorious teaching. Now, I want to mention this. This is called the decretive will of God from eternity. We don't always understand that will. Do you know why? Because we're not God. And you know what? God does things sometimes in this congregation and in your life and in mine. And we sit back and we say, God, that doesn't seem like that's according to what you said in your word. That doesn't seem right. So um, I don't quite understand what's going on. Would you like to know why you don't know what's going on? Would you like to know why I don't know what's going on? Because we're not God. Because we're not God. Young people, are you listening to me? You understand that? You will question God sometimes. But you're not God. Now, so God does what he wants. That's a decreedy will it's usually not Uh, specifically revealed. For example, what I'm saying is this is stuff that in many cases is not going to be revealed in the Bible. For instance, who's going to get saved? Where there's going to be a car accident? uh, Where he's specifically going to take the human race? We know in general where the Lord's taking the human race and it's a wonderful thing. But I mean the specific means by which he does that. Who's going to succeed? Who's not going to succeed? That stuff is just not revealed to us. The Bible talks about those as the secret things. You say, man, I'd really like to know that. I just bet you would. But God's not going to oblige us. He's not going to tell us that. Now, the wonderful thing about the decretive will of God that you can just lean back on and relax is this. God has a plan. And God is working his plan. And God has a plan for your life and your children's life and your grandchildren's life. And God has a plan for everything. And God's plan is going to work out. And that's a wonderful thing. Now, that should not lead you to sit back and say, well, God has a plan. That means I don't have to do anything. That's not what I'm suggesting. The good news to know is that God has a plan, and he's going to work it out. And basically, if you belong to Christ, this is so beautiful. According to Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, everything's going to work out for your good. Isn't that wonderful with all the stuff you're going through? Now, that is the decretive will of God. Now, I'm going to talk just briefly about what this verse is referring to, the prescriptive will of God, that is, prescription. The prescriptive will of God is God's very specific revealed will for man and woman, specifically and almost always revealed in the Bible. For example, the Ten Commandments are a part of what we would call God's prescriptive will. Verse 1 that we just preached about, that's part of God's prescriptive will. Remember what he says in verse 1? I beg you, brothers, get my glasses on so I can see, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. You remember I preached on that? That's part of God's prescriptive will. He's written it right down here. You don't have to say, I wonder what the will, I wonder in the great secret councils of God's eternal will. What it, you don't have to do that. He's written it for you right there. That's God's prescriptive will. Does everybody understand the difference? God's prescriptive will is set out clearly in his word. His decretive will is in his mind and in his heart, and he's going to accomplish it. Now, here's basically all I want to say about that. Hmm. You and I don't need to know the, the intricacies of God's decretive will. All we need to worry about is his prescriptive will. Do you understand that? Now, you know what some of us like to do? We like to be great theological sages. And as it were, touch our beard. I wonder what God is up to. And why is there such evil in the world? And how could God permit all these people to suffer? And what is God doing at churches? If I would sit back, let us think about God's great plan for this little church in Santa Cruz. Or God's plan for... You don't have to do that. Does everybody understand that? Too many people waste time worrying about God's decretive will. Trust me, it's going to work out. You don't have to worry about figuring God out. I'm not worried about God's decretive will. I'm just kind of worried about fulfilling his prescriptive will. Your calling in mind is not to figure out what God is doing, your calling in mind is to obey what God's told you to do. Does everybody understand that? Now, in verse 2 of chapter 12, Paul is speaking about God's prescriptive will. His point is this. If we quit being stamped by the world, as I preached about before, if we give our minds to God, then we'll know or prove God's will. Now that seems to be a remarkable statement. Because if I understand it correctly, Paul is saying we cannot know the will of God as long as we're stamped by the world. Did you see what he's saying there? He says in the first part, he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice acceptable to God which is your rational worship, reasonable service. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed, so that you may prove, so that you may test, so that you may understand. Now, what that means, young people and old people, is if our lives are given to the world and being stamped by the world, there's no way we're going to be able to fulfill God's prescriptive will for our lives. In other words, there's no way we're going to obey. Now, I'm talking to some of you youth here. Some of you guys and gals are looking for God's plan, but you're also sort of stamped by the world. This is what we might call spiritual schizophrenia. You know what schizophrenia is, don't you? People that have at least like two personalities. There's just fighting within them. Some people have like seven, 10, 15, allegedly. So there's this one side of you that says, yeah, you know, I really want to please God. But on the other hand, you know, I mean, you know, this world's kind of cool. It's kind of fun. And I kind of enjoy all the stuff in the world. I kind of enjoy, I'm being told to get back toward the microphone. Uh, um, I enjoy being in the world. Well, that's sort of a spiritual schizophrenia. And you know what? You're not going to fulfill God's prescriptive will for your life as long as you think that way as long as your mind is filled with lust, as long as your life is filled with hateful thoughts and vindictive thoughts, as long as you have sinful business practices, as long as you don't care for others, as long as you, you have uh, live, live a life that desires to fulfill the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. Now, notice how it's described here in the last part of verse 2. It says in the last part of verse 2 proving what is good and acceptable and perfect. What that means is This will of God pleases God and it fulfills your role, your God-appointed role in your life. Now know this, essentially what he's saying there is God has so rigged you and the universe that you will never be happy apart from fulfilling his will. Now, that's a wonderful thing. And parents, those of you who are worried about your children in one way or another, know this. God will never give them joy and satisfaction and peace as long as they're not doing what he wants them to do. Do you understand that? And that's true of you and me. You take the fish and if the fish says, you know, I don't like swimming in the water. I just look up there through the water at the birds and I want to fly. Well, whenever the fish wants to fly, guess what? He wasn't designed to fly and it's absolutely destructive to his life when he wants to do that. And when a bird says, I want to spend all my time under the water. You know why that is? Because God rigged the universe so that they would do things a certain way. Now, do you understand that that's true also in your life and mine? He has rigged you. He has rigged your consciousness. He has rigged your mind and heart so that you'll never be happy and joyous until you're doing what he wants you to do. By the way, that's why in the end, there are never any happy unbelievers. Oh, man, they can, like, get some temporary happiness in a bottle, they can get some temporary happiness in drugs and a profligate sexual lifestyle, but in the end, have you noticed have you noticed a lot of these people, particularly how hard they look their minds, their faces their lives are so hard I think of uh, since the, the new Batman movie is coming out this week, how many of you are going to see the Batman movie this week, some of you I don't know if you read when uh, after or before Heath Ledger's tragic death and how he had all this stuff millions and millions and millions of dollars. And his friends said, but the problem is he wasn't happy. His life was a tragedy. So the point is, have all the money you want in the world, and if you don't have Christ, you think you're going to get all the stuff and be happy, but you're not if you're not fulfilling his will. It's not going to make you happy. That's the whole point. God has rigged it so you won't be happy until you're fulfilling his will. We're sinful. We're not meant to trust our own devices. Proverbs 3.5 says, lean not to your own understanding. That's why we trust the will of God. So, my final point is so, how do you know? How do you say, okay, Andrew, so how do we know the will of God? I mean, we read it here, but what about very specifics? I have some specific decisions to make a person to be with, or a vocation, or a big business decision, or an investment. How do we know that? The first thing we read from Psalm 40, verse 8, is we have to covet to know it. Uh, the scripture says, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. Um, if your desire is not to know and fulfill the absolute will of God for your life you're in deep trouble because basically you're going to end up doing what you, there are going to be other factors in your life that will influence you you'll have friends that will say one thing and you'll have a thought that will come into your mind and say you know maybe that's a good idea and you'll be running this way and that way Do you understand that but if you have a you know what we need we need a revival of sort of a white hot Uh, intense desire to please God at all costs. That's not easy to do in a very bad world, but it's the right thing to do. And if you have that desire, young people, it's amazing how God will fulfill you and how you uh, fulfill that desire and how your life will change. If you have that white hot desire to know the will of God. Second of all, we know from Psalm 119 that we know the will of God by reading and obeying the word of God. Now hear this, hear this. Well, nothing, contrary to the word of God is in the will of God nothing contrary to the word of God is in the will of God it was seven or eight years ago or maybe not that long that I had a young lady call me been a friend of her family's for so long she had married a young man and he was a good young man it wasn't a perfect marriage they had courted beautifully everything was just perfect and fine for three or four years and she was married it was a great ceremony I was at the wedding back in the Midwest and so on and uh, she called me and she says, you know, I just think this marriage is not working and I'm going to get a divorce. And she was about 24 maybe at the time, 23 or 24. And I said, why? She says, well, my husband abuses me. And I said, whoa, how does he do that? Well, he just says things that are unkind to me. And I said, well, and I knew him. I said, I, I mean, he's not an overly unkind person at all. I said, well, he shouldn't do that. I said, but he's it's, it's like beating you? Oh, well, no, he would never do that. Well, is he? What is he? Well, he just says things he shouldn't say. I says, well, we need to address that problem. That's a serious problem, but that's not grounds in the scripture for you're getting a divorce. And I'll never forget what she said to me. She says, well, Andrew, she said, well, Pastor Sandlin, she said, she says, I've prayed about it and God's given me peace on it. And I said, and I mentioned her name and I've known her since she was a little girl. I said, I want to tell you something. God didn't tell you that. Because God would never, I don't care how long you pray, God is never going to give you some revelation that is contrary to his word, and his word is not going to permit you to sin like you're doing. So, young people, I would tell you that if you get any little indications of being led this way or that, and it's contrary to the word of God, it's wrong. This right here is objective and infallible truth. And if you want to live your life contrary to it, you are free to do that, not permitted. You're free to do that. But don't drag God into it and say, well, just God led me to do this. No, God didn't lead you to do that. Now, but if you immerse yourself in the word, you'll tend to think biblically. Now, I want you to understand what I mean by that. I don't mean by that that every time you have a decision to make, you're going to read the Bible and the Bible's going to give you an answer. I don't mean that. See, that's the sort of cheat man's way out. Well, I'm going to, I need to decide what kind of car I'm going to buy. Or I need to know what kind of a house that I'm going to buy. Or I need to know the particular person that I need to be with. Or I need this particular investment. Or there's a particular choice that I need to make. So, God, I think I'm going to go for lucky dipping. You turn the Bible around and put your finger on a verse. Or you say, God, show me a verse. You know, that really is doing a disservice to God. You see, when I say that he will lead you by his word, I mean that if you immerse yourself in the word, you're going to tend to have wisdom to make right decisions. You see the difference there? For instance, somebody asked me where to start in reading the scripture. A young person, I said, start in Proverbs. If you read the proverb a day corresponding to the day of the month, today is what, the 13th, 14th? Something like that. If you read that particular proverb and you keep reading, I can tell you right now, if you read properly, if you submit yourself and your mind and heart to the Holy Spirit, reading those proverbs is going to affect your decision making. I'm not saying that there's going to be a specific proverb, proverb that's going to answer every question you have. I'm simply saying it's going to reorient your thinking about wisdom and you're going to start making wise decisions. Do you know why? Because you're going to be filled with wisdom. You see the point there? And then we know the will of God as we do it. Oh, this is an amazing text. John seven seventeen. John seven seventeen, If anyone wills to do my father's will, he shall know concerning the doctrine. This, this is an amazing thing. We tend to often think we have to get all of our ducks in a row before we can do anything. That's not God's way. God's way is obey what I've told you and then I'm going to show you as you obey. Young people, do you see what I'm saying there? Don't get down and say, God, I want you to show me your entire plan for my life, and then I'm going to walk it out. Well, that's nice. Then it wouldn't take any faith, would it? God's not going to do that. God's going to say, here's what I want you to do today. Here's, what I want, here's where I want you to work this week. Here's the decision I want you to do today. And then you go to the next day, and he says, this is what I want you to do today. And that's how God leads you. And as you're obeying, you're led. And then we know the will of God by crying out to God in prayer. We read in Psalm 143, verse 10, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. The question I have for you and for me is How often do we cry out to God in prayer for his will? We read in James 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. God really delights when we go before him and say, God, we're really stupid. I don't say, well, I don't know that I would say that before God. I'm kind of a proud person. Are you nuts? Doesn't God know how stupid you and I are? And we go before God and say, God, we don't know which way to go. We don't know which way to turn for sure. Please, we beg of you, give us wisdom. God loves it when we rely on him. And he gives it. Sometimes the will of God comes in a very powerful and revelatory way. We read of Paul's dream in Acts chapter 16. Paul was lying down at night and a dream came over him. And a man of Macedonia came and said, please come over and help us. And God gave a laser-like certainty. Um, There are, I may have mentioned to you, and I won't take long here, but three times in my life when I've had that kind of laser-like certainty about the will of God. One of them was in marrying my wife. Another one was moving to California. And then there was a third decision. There was just like this laser-like, it was like God came down with this sort of tractor beam and said, (sighs) that's the way it's going to be, pal. And I said, yes, sir. And it was just like, bang, like that. But I do want to tell you, God can lead us that way. But there is a reason we call that extraordinary. It doesn't happen most of the time like that. And if you're one of these people to think, well, I mean, every night I want to go to sleep and God come to me in a dream. And you're out driving, you say, God, please show me in a great sign in the sky. Make the clouds. Prove the clouds in a, in, in a sort of sort of a uh, configuration of letters. Yes or no? Um, I'm not saying that God can't lead that way, and he does. But there is a reason we call this extraordinary. And by the way, it was also extraordinary in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say that Paul had dreams all the time. We read about one time, one time that he had a dream like that. And you know what? You may have that in your life. I talked to a friend recently, staunch guy, very knowledgeable, loves the Word. He said, I had an amazing revelation, and I believe him. It's true. It wasn't contrary to the Word. It was in line with the Word. It was about his life. That's true. But it doesn't happen all the time. That's extraordinary. But I would say finally here, and this is crucial, we tend to know the will of God in faithful, everyday obedience. Oh, there's a beautiful story in Genesis chapter 24. Uh, Abraham, Eliezer's servant, was sent by Abraham to get a uh, wife, a bride, for Abraham's son, Isaac. He didn't want him to take a bride where Abraham was at the time, but back near his forefathers. And uh, he sent his servant there, and the servant says, He's driving along Eliezer and he's thinking, I don't know, where am I going to find? I mean, I've got to find a wife for this, my master's son. I mean, how could I ever do that? And so he says something very beautiful. He says, God, I don't know what I'm doing. He says, but I'm going to just tell you this. Um, I'm going to sit down by this fountain of water, this well of water. And a woman that comes and doesn't just offer water to me, but offers water to my camels also, I'm going to just take it of you that this is the right woman. And it's a beautiful story about that happened, how that happened. And then we read in chapter 24, verse 27. He's saying this, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me. Oh, that's so beautiful. Being on the way, the Lord led me. In other words, and I'd like you to write this down or else remember it in your mind and heart. In our lives, we tend to trip over the will of God as we travel on the road of obedience. We tend to trip over the will of God as we travel on the road of obedience. So rather than young people sitting down and spending many hours asking about the intricacies, about where God's going to take you and what you need to be doing, do the next thing God's calling you to do. Here's what I know. I know the will of God for your life on this point. I know that God wants you to get up, ladies, and to be faithful to your husband and to care for him and your children. Husbands, I know that God wants you to love your wives. And you know what, God? I know that God wants you guys to get up tomorrow and go to work and work very, very hard. See, But that doesn't sound very exciting. I know. But that's part of God's will for your life. And in fulfilling God's will for your life like that, in working very hard like that, you tend to fulfill the will of God. It doesn't have to be spectacular. It doesn't have to be some amazing thing to get up in the morning and say, just the will of God occurs. you trip over the will of God as you travel on the road of obedience and you know what happens here 's what happens you 're walking this has happened to me it probably happened to some of you young people listen to me you 're walking along the road of obedience it 's just like a dreary road you 're just walking along this road there 's nothing unusual and lo and behold. A really flashy car comes up on this road, and this car says, you know what? I'm here from the Lord, and he wants me to take you to a very special place, and here's what the word says, and you need to do it. And you say, okay, Lord, that sounds wonderful. But you see, you didn't get up in the morning looking for the flashy car to meet you on the road. Do you understand the point I'm making? The point is, just be faithful on the road, and God brings into your life amazing things and If you believe that God intends, if God is in control of everything, then God will never bring anything in your life that is into your life that 's not a part of His will. Do you see that? He brings that into your life, and he expects you to deal with it and in dealing with that it 's amazing the opportunity he, he brings so my point is this, and I will be done. I promise. David, the great David that defeated Goliath, for example, do you know that David didn't get up one morning and say, I'm going to defeat Goliath today. He said, I'm going to get up today and be faithful in caring for sheep. And guess what? In doing that, he got a job and he did something spectacular. You don't find the will of God looking for the spectacular. You find the will of God in being faithful day by day. Let us pray. I'm going to ask if he will, my fellow elder, Don Brosamle Don will you pray for us this congregation those who are making choices that we will be faithful and obedient day by day and thus know the will of God